1: Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News, Russia-Ukraine war podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea
0: Hubbard and today is Friday, January 20th, 2023. It's been 3,250 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 331 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned with private military company or PMC Wagner group head Yevgeny Prigozhin will continue. Second, we maintain the ongoing information warfare between the Russian Ministry of Defense or MOD and PMC Wagner is a byproduct of the strife within the Kremlin. Third, We maintain that the current winner of the ongoing infighting between factions loyal to Shoigu versus Prigozhin is Russian President Vladimir Putin, who has shifted negative attention back to the Ministry of Defense. Fourth, we assess there is a very high risk of punitive missile strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure from January twentieth to twenty-first, due to the planned announcements of significant arms aid today, a reduction in punitive artillery strikes by Russia yesterday increasing activity at Russian air bases and a recent rotation of Black Sea Fleet warships. Fifth, we further assess that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Sixth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Seventh, We maintain that Russian forces led by PMC Wagner Group have taken the initiative on the Solidar bakhmut axis, but remain largely defensive throughout the rest of Ukraine. Eighth. We maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations, despite the slow success on the Solidar axis. Ninth we maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is only a remote possibility. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. Fighting remained positional in Luhansk, with significant artillery duels on the Svatva and Kremina axes. On the Svatova axis, multiple Russian sources reported Ukraine has full control of Novoselivské, with a Russian video showing Ukrainian positions being hit by TOS-1 thermobaric weapons and a Ukrainian video showing retreating Russian soldiers being shelled in Kuzemivka. In our assessment, Ukrainian forces have been pushed out of the southwestern corner of Kremina, and into the Serebriyansky woods, after Russian forces brought reserve troops to the front. Multiple Russian sources reported that Kremina was under a continuous artillery barrage. sergei Khaidai, Luhansk oblast administrative and military governor, reported fighting in the area of Dubrova, and mercenaries with War Gonzo supported the claim, stating that Russian forces were shelling Ukrainian troops in the village. On the Lusychansk axis, Multiple sources reported that Russian forces failed to advance on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Coordination and Control, or JCCC, reported that a horse farm in Nizhnya was attacked by seven Ukrainian drones, with six shot down by air defenses. In northeast Donetsk, on the Kremina axis, a Russian reconnaissance group was located near Terny, and was neutralized by Ukrainian forces. On the Siversk axis, Russian commanders wasted no time putting freshly arrived Mobik reinforcements into the fight with failed attacks on Verknokamianskia and Spirna. Fighting continued in Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, with a new video providing fresh intelligence on the line of conflict. We've adjusted the map, placing Russian troops west of the T-1302 highway and Ukrainian forces to their north. Ukrainian troops fired a javelin missile on a Russian position in the southwestern corner of the settlement, which instantly created a massive secondary explosion. We geolocated the video, which has been misattributed on social media as near Svatva or the Bilohorivka in Luhansk. On the Solidar axis, Ukrainian forces are under significant pressure to hold their current lines of defense, Mercenaries with Rybar reported continued attempts to advance on Rozdolivka from Yakovlivka. A geolocated video showed a platoon of Russian troops just west of Krasnopolivka advancing on the hamlet on a forest path parallel to the train tracks. The drone video indicated the group was poorly trained and led, with the troops bunched together as they came under drone-directed artillery fire. We adjusted the map due to the uncontested presence of Russian forces that were not directly engaged by Ukrainian ground forces and have coded Krasnopolivka as contested and likely under Russian control. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting in the Solodar area, with multiple Ukrainian sources reporting continued fighting in Sile. despite PMC Wagner and Russian MOD claims that the satellite village of Solodar was captured. Pavlo Kirilenko Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor reported the entire area was experiencing intense artillery fire. Southwest of Solodar, Russian forces continued to press into Krasnokhoda and attempted to advance on Blachodatne. Ukrainian forces were able to hold defensive lines, but the situation in Krasnokhoda is deteriorating. On the Bakhmut axis, fighting continued on the city's northeastern, eastern, southeastern, and southern edges— PMC Wagner claimed their forces had advanced to Paraskovievka, but there was no evidence to support the report, with the GSAFU claiming Ukrainian forces held their defensive lines. South of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner and Ukrainian sources claimed that Klishyivka had been captured, while the GSAFU reported Ukrainian defenses held the town, and Rybar claimed that Ukrainian troops were pushed out but had mounted a counteroffensive. We moved the line of conflict to the western edge of the settlement and marked the area as contested. It's important to note that PMC Wagner did not provide pictures or videos to support their capture claim. The GSAFU reported successfully holding defensive lines west of Kurdiumivka while repelling an attack on Olexandro Schultene, but made no mention of Bilohora, which sits between the two towns. NASA fire information for resource management systems or firms showed possible heat anomalies in western Bilohora adjacent to the ground line of communication, called a gloc that's a supply line, to Oleksandr Schultene. The hot spots were near two grain hangars, but it is possible they were false bright spots caused by sunlight reflecting off the ice. Some assessment. The potential thermal anomalies imply that PMC Wagner mercenaries reached Bilohora. But the GSAFU reported holding the defensive lines at Kurdyomivka, likely at the canal. PMC Wagner could have advanced northwest from Ozaryanivka, but then would have had to pass through Delyivka, which they don't control. Take away the thermal anomalies, and it's easy to dismiss the advance as a DRG unit. We did not make any map changes due to the lack of intelligence and the increasing use of DRG units by Russian forces to probe Ukrainian defenses. Two Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack struck near Husarivka on the Kharkiv-Donetsk administrative border. In southwest Donetsk, on the Avdiivka axis, there weren't any significant changes. Elements of the 1st Army Corps engaged in positional fighting from Opitne, north of the Donetsk International Airport, Vodyana, and failed to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevoske. Again. On the Marenka axis, Intense fighting continued east of Krasnohorivka, which has become the hottest area of fighting on the Axis. Wargonzo repeated the false claims of Denis Pushilin that Ukrainian forces were pushed out of the center of Marinka. Semyon Pegov is a lot of things, but Wargonzo is arguably the best of the worst for intelligence from unaffiliated Russian state media sources. We didn't adjust the map because other sources countered the claim, and there were no pictures or videos. Orgonzo also made an unsupported claim that the 1st Army Corps of the DNR captured Pobida. The GSAFU, the, GSAFU con, the GSAFU reported continued fighting, while other Ukrainian sources reported that no advance had been made. Self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushlin, appointed Shamov Alexei Sergeyevich as acting minister of justice of the DNR. Still, no reasons have been given for the shakeup within the Ministry of Justice. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro, with three Ukraine shelled 56 times, including 19 strikes on the city of Kherson, wounding four people. Russian forces targeted the city center and knocked out power to 13,000 people, which was partially restored at the time of recording. Russian artillery concentrated on civilian areas using thermite and high-explosive warheads, at the mouth of the Nipro on the banks of the Niprovska Gulf, Stanislav was also hit by artillery strikes. NASA firms showed significant thermal anomalies on the islands between the west and east banks of the Nipro, in the river port area of Kherson, and in Russian-occupied Pishenivka, where a cluster of farms and warehouses are located. Some of the fires were caused by Russian forces using thermite munitions, setting reeds and dry grass ablaze. A quick errors and omissions here... Earlier, we reported that the Russian Ministry of Defense claimed that Ukrainian forces attempted to advance from Stepova in Zaporizhia. Our team placed the attempted advance west of Velika Novosilka on the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border. But the fighting was in the Stepova west of Orihiv, near the east bank of the Dnipro River. Both settlements are in the Zaporizhia oblast and on the line of conflict. We appreciate your understanding as we cut through the fog of war. Video emerged of elements of the Russian 58th Combined Arms Army attempting an advance near Stepova, the one west of Oryhiv, and making a marginal gain before retreating to their original defensive position. There were social media claims of significant fighting near Orihiv and Russian forces capturing four settlements that, in our assessment, are false. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains unchanged. Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, reported a house in Kiriliska with Russian troops inside, exploded for an unknown reason. The wounded were taken to hospitals in Melitopol. Russia and Ukraine exchanged artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Juliapole, to Orikhiv to Sherbaki, with Russian forces firing 224 shells, mortars, and rockets on 21 settlements. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykoliv, and Odessa region, the composition of the Black Sea fleet changed, with 11 ships on patrol, including six missile carriers capable of launching up to 40-caliber cruise missiles. On the Russian front, the Russian Federation continues to add air defense around and now within Moscow. Videos and pictures which we do, of course, link to in our full situation report on Patreon, showed Pantsir S-1 anti-aircraft vehicles being placed on the roofs of high-rises and government buildings, including the headquarters of the Ministry of Defense and the Ministry of the Interior. BMC Wagner mocked online complaints that sharing pictures of the work was violating operational security and chest-thumping of how we are ready for NATO. The first part dripped with sarcasm, stating, quote, in fact, the Americans do not have the Internet. Americans are not allowed to enter Moscow's Gorky Park or even look at the building of the Russian Federation Ministry of Defense. End quote. Fun fact, Gorky Park was a closed community during the first Cold War. Addressing the chest-thumpers expressing joy over the deployment, Wagner reminded their readers, quote, The essence of irony is, firstly, everything goes according to plan. And secondly, until recently, we laughed at the enemy—they mean Ukraine—in terms of the work of its air defense. In particular, they were accused of placing air defense in residential areas, since some hits on residential buildings resulted from the fall of the upper stages of the air defense itself. So what will happen here if you suddenly have to use a Pantsir S-1 air defense missile system? End quote. A video also showed an active Pantsir S-1 complex close to Russian President Vladimir Putin's private residence. How ironic would it be if a Russian air defense missile booster section
1: just... You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on Patreon.com at Malcontent News. Let's talk about developments
0: theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Sometimes we almost feel bad for Dmitry Peskov. Almost. Peskov was sent into damage control mode after Dmitry Medvedev, the deputy chairman of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, threatened nuclear war, and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, was allowed to have a microphone without adult supervision. Walking back Medvedev's nuclear threats, Peskov said that the comments do not mean that, quote, the Russian Federation is ready to change its defense doctrine and use of nuclear weapons, quote. We're wondering if someone maybe got an angry phone call from China, with Chinese President Xi Jinping reportedly the conduit between Moscow and almost the rest of the world to tell the Kremlin to stop with the irresponsible nuclear threats. The Washington Post reported that United States Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, Director William Burns made a secret trip to Kiev to brief Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky on Russia's plans for the spring. Moldovan President Maya Sandu asked for military aid so the poorest nation in Europe could improve its air defense. On January 14th, debris from a Russian cruise missile, including its warhead, crashed into an unpopulated area near the Ukrainian border. At the World Economic Forum at Davos, she said that Russian efforts to destabilize the Moldovan government have been unsuccessful. The United States announced it was sending another $2.5 billion in military aid to Ukraine. The latest package includes, but is not limited to, additional munitions for NASM's anti-aircraft batteries, eight Avenger air defense systems, 59 Bradley Infantry Fighting Vehicles, or IFVs, with 590 tow anti-tank missiles and 295,000 rounds of 25mm ammunition, 90 striker armored personnel carriers or APCs with 20 mine rollers, 53 mine-resistant ambush protection or MRAP vehicles, and 350 high-mobility multi-purpose wheeled vehicles or Humvees. You can find a more comprehensive list in our full situation report on Patreon. Yesterday, we reported on several military aid packages from across Europe. We've received additional information and clarification on some of those packages. Poland is sending an undisclosed number of Soviet-era AZP S-60 57 anti-aircraft guns with 70,000 rounds. The United Kingdom is sending 600 Brimstone missiles. Latvia clarified that they are sending two Mi-17 helicopters – Estonia clarified that the dozens of howitzers they're sending include FH-70-155mm and Soviet-era D-30-122mm towed artillery pieces. Denmark is sending 19 Caesar-155mm self-propelled howitzers, that's their entire inventory. And Finland announced they were sending their largest military aid package to Ukraine, valued at 400 million euros the Finnish government said the package contents were classified for, quote, security reasons. Finland had stated earlier they were, quote, considering sending Leopard 2 MBTs to Ukraine. The diplomatic row over German Leopard 2 tanks continued, with the German Bundestag refusing to vote on a measure to authorize the release of the main battle tanks to Ukraine. The defense minister of Lithuania claimed that, quote, several countries— would announce a commitment to send their Leopard 2s to Ukraine on January 20th. Adding pressure on Chancellor Olaf Scholz, the Netherlands announced they were willing to pay Germany for the Leopard 2s that Berlin is holding back. German weapons manufacturer Rheinmetall reportedly told Berlin and Kyiv that the company could refurbish and upgrade 80 British Challenger 1 tanks that Oman just retired before the end of the year, in addition to 20 retired Leopard 1 tanks currently in Germany. On top of that, another 80 Leopard 1 tanks could be made combat-ready in 2024. There were also reports that 11 MiG-29 fighter aircraft Slovakia retired in August and 39 MiG-29s in the Polish Air Force will be discussed at Ramstein. Discussions have been ongoing for almost a year to provide additional MiG-29 airframes to Ukraine. In breaking news, the Dutch government said they would consider supplying F-16 fighter aircraft to Ukraine if the Kiev government asks for them. Minister Wopke Hukstra of Foreign Affairs said his nation would look at the request, quote, with an open mind. Speaking of breaking, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Russian mill blogger Alexander Katz reported that the 640th and 641st artillery battalions which received three months of training on the D-30 howitzer, upon arrival into Ukraine, were transferred to the infantry of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR and sent to the front line. Family and unit members claim they are willing to fight, but not in the infantry, because they received no training in frontline combat and were not equipped to be in the infantry when deployed. Approximately 40 to 50 Mobiks in Samara mutinied and are refusing to be deployed to Ukraine— when their commander threatened to have them arrested, several started chanting, quote, Call the prosecutor. End quote. Russians who escaped mobilization by fleeing to Kazakhstan will have to start working on a plan B. Beginning on January 27th, foreigners from the Eurasian Economic Union, including Russia, can stay in the nation for no more than 90 days over a 180 day period. Previously, a person would only have to leave the country every 180 days but could immediately return. Those attempting to return after staying for 90 days will not be allowed re-entry. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, But if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. President of the International Committee of the Red Cross, Mirjana Spolyarik, is traveling to Moscow to discuss, quote, urgent humanitarian problems with Russian officials and the Russian Red Cross. The ICRC continues to be prevented from visiting Ukrainian prisoners of war and Ukrainian civilian deportees. A 46th person has died from injuries received on the January 14th missile attack on Dnipro. Officials reported that 80 were injured, 24 were still hospitalized, 3 were in serious or critical condition, and 11 remained missing. The bodies of 11 people have not been identified. In geopolitical news, President of the European Council, Charles Michel, arrived on a visit to Ukraine to discuss, quote, concrete measures to make Ukraine stronger, end quote. Nine European nations signed the so-called Tallinn Declaration, which, quote, condemns Russia's attacks aimed at terrorizing the Ukrainian people, in particular, deliberate attacks on the civilian population and civilian infrastructure, which may constitute war crimes, end quote. The signatories included the United Kingdom, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Denmark, the Netherlands, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic. Iranian Foreign Minister Hossein Amir Abdullahian said on Iranian TRT World that his nation does not recognize Russia's claims to Crimea, Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson. The statement came two days after Serbian President Aleksandr Vucic told Bloomberg, quote, we cannot support Russia's invasion of Ukraine, end quote, reinforcing that his nation is looking west, not east, and also does not recognize Crimea, Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, or Kherson as part of Russia. Fresh off his most recent anti-Semitic comments, Russian Foreign Minister Sergey Lavrov hopped a plane to Belarus to meet with the self-declared President Alexander Lukashenko. Lavrov told reporters, quote, as for the special military operation, we are taking all the necessary measures, together with our Belarusian allies and friends, to protect ourselves from possible intentions, as you said, Western neighbors. We see how in the north of Europe, which was largely neutral territory, NATO is now being established. Finland, Sweden, all this is very close to our borders. End quote. 24 hours after Lavrov outraged the Israeli government again, Israeli Foreign Minister Eli Cohen accepted an invitation to visit Kyiv. Additionally, Cohen announced the Israeli embassy would reopen within 60 days. During his call with Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba, Cohen asked his counterpart to join the fight against Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard and to ask Europe to declare the armed force a terrorist organization. Kuleba reported that when Cohen comes to Kiev, topics include, quote, Israel's plans to step up humanitarian aid and assistance in other spheres, end quote. In economic news, the ruble was unchanged with an exchange rate of 69 for one U.S. dollar. Western oil prices brushed off recession fears and started to climb again, with WTI crude reaching $81 a barrel and Brent jumping to $87. Russian Ural's crude also rebounded with an official price of $59 a barrel, just under the $60 price cap. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline-on-the-spot market also climbed, reaching $2.61 a gallon or $0.69 a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures dropped to €59 per megawatt hour for February and €60 for March 2023 delivery. Chicago SRW wheat futures fell again, settling at $7.34 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates.
1: Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand?